The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark, presented by Rivers Casino, and Happy New Year. I know the Eagles didn't end 2023 the way you wanted them to, one of the worst losses you will ever see, but let's get a little therapy session going here with an all-time great in our city of Philadelphia who knows the Eagles better than anybody, the Hall of Famer, Ray Didinger. We're looking for a little guidance from you, Ray, about what the heck has happened to the Eagles. It's good to see you. Good to see you, John. Um, yeah, this is uh, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been quite the uh, it's been quite the ride from ten and one to where we are today, hasn't it? Um, yeah. The uh, the game on Sunday. Um, you mentioned the fact that I've been covering this team a long time, fifty three years to be exact. Uh, considering I've been trying to put it in some kind of context here, and considering what was at stake. Uh, and considering where this team was, uh, considering what was on the line on Sunday at home and the caliber of the opponent, um, that may have been the worst Eagles loss I have seen in a half a century. Wow. That is in, saying in, a lot. In, 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 ter- in, ter- in terms of the effort, the, the, the gap between the effort, the standard, and the performance, I don't know that there's ever been a game that I've seen that's been that disappointing. And now the question is, where do you go from here? Wow, that's saying a lot. You know, I actually looked it up that uh, the last time the Eagles blew a 15-point lead to a team as bad as the Cardinals record-wise, it was during Rich Kotite's last year, the game in Cincinnati (laughs) that they blew. Remember that one? That was like the tailspin that got Rich Kotite fired. Final game of the season. Yeah. Uh, it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I can't remember which. Uh, and yeah, that was it. That was the one that got Richie fired. And it was the last game of a seven game losing streak where the team, kind of similar, the team went from seven and two and seemingly a lock for the playoffs to seven and nine and goodbye. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I did. I, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that game very well. But yeah. I mean, th- this was probably more disappointing. Because nobody looked at that team as a team that could go to a Super Bowl. I mean, nobody really did. Playoffs, yeah, probably. But nobody had really high, high expectations for that team. They did for this team. They certainly did for this team coming into this year. And a 10-1 and and number one in the power rankings and all that stuff just a few weeks ago. To go from there to what you saw on Sunday, uh, I mean, it's it's a dizzying descent. And the question is, you know, where do you go from here? Yeah, and I guess I would ask you, Ray, do you think some of these issues are fixable? You see the run defense over the last seven weeks. They're giving up 150 yards a game on average. You saw the 220-plus against the Cardinals. And a lack of effort. They had their most missed tackles of the season. I think they had 13 missed tackles. Do you think that the run defense, which was number one for the first half of the season in the NFL, do you think it's fixable? 
Well, well, certainly better than that. Um, is it fixable to the point where you could say it's a strength? Probably not. Uh, you know, coming into the season, John, I mean, I think you and I even talked about it week before the opener. You know, what were your expectations for this season? Uh, and my feeling was, I thought they were going to have issues on defense. I really did. You were looking at probably five new starters, new defensive coordinator, new scheme. Um, I thought the defense was going to have some issues. Hopefully they could sort them out over the course of the season, but I thought that the defense was had some question marks. The, the offense, I thought, was going to be dynamic. I mean, I absolutely thought if it wasn't the, going to be the highest scoring offense in football, it was certainly going to be in the top three. Uh, and so in some ways, what's happened to the offense to me is more puzzling than what's happened with the defense. The defense has turned out to be worse than I thought, a lot worse than I thought. But I really thought the offense was going to be so good that they would be able to carry this team. And what you've seen is that is not at all of the case. And that's, that's to me, I mean, there are multiple, multiple issues with this team right now. Um, the defensive ones are easier to explain because you look at the personnel and you say, well, they're just not that good. But on offense, it's a lot of the same guys, basically is the same guys as last year. Uh, the only real change is DeAndre Swift, who I think is, are, is an upgrade for Miles Sanders. So why isn't this offense performing the way the offense performed a year ago? Yeah, and and let me let me get back to the defense first though, um, because I and I agree with you. You you lose half your starters and and Javon Hargrave, I, I mean the push he gave up the middle uh, and the sacks that he had. You know everybody had ten or more sacks. All the key players on that defensive front and the pressure is just not there this year. Now Jalen Carter. He is having an exceptional year as a rookie, but Josh Sweat has fallen off. What do you think has happened with basically that's the engine of the defense? That's where the money is. That's where, you know, it's going to lead the defense. What do you think has happened to the lack of pressure? Well, um, that's 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 a that's a tough one to explain. I mean, a Hargrave, I don't know if people realize what a big loss Hargrave was. I mean, Hargrave was a really good player. I mean, that's why he got the money he got in San Francisco, and he's going out to San Francisco, and he's played well. And look, I kind of understood it. I mean, I knew when he went out on the market, he was going to command a lot of money. And where this team was with some of the things they had to do this offseason, they were probably not going to be able to afford him. So I can't sit here and say, oh, they absolutely should have paid whatever it kept to keep him. They probably, in today's, in a real in a, in a perfect world, maybe you could. But in the real world, you couldn't. So I knew he was going to be a loss. Um, but I didn't think that a, a team that went from 70 sacks and set a club record last year, they could go to a point where they are right now, which is they can get – they're getting no pass rush. I mean, they're getting no pass rush. And with all the problems they have at linebacker and in the secondary, the, you combine that with no pass rush, and you've got the situation that you have right now where you have a very – a very not particularly good Arizona offense, able to just walk the ball down the field on you four consecutive possessions and beat you at home in a game that was really important to you, that's what happens. I mean, you, you thought that the, the defensive line, with all the resources that put into it, with all the money they've spent on it, and I agree with you, Jalen Carter, to me, coming out of Georgia, I thought was one of the best defensive line prospects I've seen in many years. Uh, I, I thought that this defensive line would be good enough that it could make up for the deficiencies that you add to the back seven. 
and that has not proven to be the case. So what do you think is the biggest weakness now? I mean, I, I, I'm seeing that, you know, TJ Edwards, that may have been an incredible loss because, you know, Zach Cunningham being out is, is an incredible loss because right now, Nick Morrow and Shaq Leonard in that game, uh, the linebackers looked like a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't, you do not have a linebacker on the roster who can play. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's by far the worst linebacker group in the NFL. Uh, and that's being exposed all the time. And what you saw again on Sunday against the, again, the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, you had guys, the guys up front, and this is on them. Nobody was getting off blocks. And then, when you had guys in position in the gaps in the secondary at the second level who were in position to make a tackle, we're not making the tackle. So you have a combination of guys up front not getting off blocks and the guys at the second level and beyond missing tackles. That's how you wind up with a game like that. And it was, I, I know they have issues personnel wise on defense. That's obvious to everybody. Uh, but the fact that it, they could be that bad uh, for, for the second half, of again, a game that was very important to them, it, it's just hard to believe. And now the question is, you know, is it is it just a, are they just are they worn out? Are they physically worn out, uh, or are they just not giving you the effort? It's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe with everything that's at stake right now that they're just not giving you the effort. But to be honest, there were times in the game against the Cardinals where you had to question that. Hey, celebrity cook Steve Martirano is bringing his Italian-American cooking back home to Philly, where it started. Enjoy Martirano's Prime at Rivers Casino and Steve's famous meatballs with Sunday gravy, prime steaks, and more. So make reservations for Martirano's Prime on open table. I've been to the one in Fort Lauderdale. I'm glad it's back in Philly. Yeah, the missed tackling, Ray, um, it, it was really tough to watch. 13 missed tackles in the game. And you're right, when they got past the line, through the linebackers, uh, it was it was tough watching the safeties sometimes uh, trying to tackle. Um, do, you think, do you think there's a disconnect at all with the players and the coaching, defensively but also offensively? Uh, th that's probably part of it. Uh, and I think that, listen, I'm sure Nick Sirianni did not want to make it a change at defensive coordinator in midstream. I mean, no coach wants to have that happen in the middle of a season. But the fact that he felt that it was necessary to do that probably kind of tells you just how dire the situation is. Uh, and they're certainly no better with Matt Patricia. And I think the fact that he's tried to bring some new ideas into the defense um, has it helped? I mean, I think what you're seeing now is you got the same guys. They're not getting any better. And now they're confused. <laughs> so, um, I mean, defensively right now, if you're with the New York Giants or no world beer <laughs> by any means, but if they're, if, the, 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 if they're looking at this tape this week to prepare for this game, I mean, Saquon Barkley has got to be saying, hey, man, give me the ball. You know, I mean, I could, I could, I could get my new contract on this one game alone. I mean, if they, if they come, if they come out and they play the way they played Sunday against the Giants, and Giants are still playing hard. Giants played very hard. The Giants played a good game against the Rams, almost beat them. 
Um, the Giants are not going to roll over this week. And Saquon Barkley at this point could be playing his last game as a Giant. So you know he's going to be giving it his all. If the Eagles play this week the way they played on Sunday, Saquon Barkley could go for 200 yards himself. I mean, that's really, that's really kind of where this team is. And, you know, we ha really haven't dealt with the offense. But just quickly, I think, I think what you have now, whenever a team goes into a spiral like this, John, uh, it's never just one guy. It's never just one thing. It's a whole bunch of things that all kind of come together in sort of an imperfect storm, if you were. And what you have now is, you know, you have an Eagles offense that while they still make some plays and they still get some yards and they still score some points, they're making a lot of mistakes. They're making a lot of mistakes. I mean, it's a team that was one of the best giveaway takeaway teams last year. And now they're minus. Now they're near the bottom. So you combine an offense that was pretty sound and pretty smart a year ago to becoming one that's kind of dumb and mistake prone now. And you combine that with the pressure that's now putting when it clearly weakened defense. And that's why you, you run into a stretch like you are right now where you've lost four or five and you're going into the playoffs on your hands and knees. Yeah, and and, and I, I still had some defensive questions because it was so bad, but but you brought up the offense once again. And, and you know, Marcus Hayes of the Daily News and the Inquirer, he had a, a very interesting article about A.J. Brown and that the reason why A.J. Brown is not talking to the media, it's not because of the media. Uh, a couple of teammates, I guess, anonymously told Marcus Hayes that A.J. is not happy with the coaching staff. Now, we right. did see during the game they had first and 10 at the 20, and then you had the holding penalty on Jordan Mailata. Right. You run Jalen Hurts twice, and then you have the screen to Kenny Gainwell that Devontae Smith gets Hurts on. And, and, and you saw A.J. Brown, you visibly saw his frustration after that, and I believe he only had one target in the second half. Do you right. think there is an issue? Because we saw A.J. beginning of the year. I think it was the Vikings game where he was like basically telling them how important he can be to the offense. Then right. he went on that stretch. He went on that stretch of 125 yards or more in each game. Do you think there is an issue with AJ and the way the game is being called by Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni? Yeah, no question. <laughs> no, no question. No, there's no question because AJ in, in the limited time that he spoke after the game, um, was very clear about this. Look, I'm not talking, and it's not because of you guys, meaning the press. Because we've seen athletes in this town that don't talk after games, and it's clearly because it's a, it's a press thing. Yeah, AJ made it very clear, no, this is not a press thing. So what else is it? What else could it be? Uh, it's obviously he's very unhappy with the, um, with the way the offense is, is being run right now. And, I mean, you point to... I mean, there's a myriad of things going on here, but you put your finger right on the series that raises all of these questions, which was the one at the end of the game, uh, where after the onside kick, the Eagles now have some position. They're in pretty good shape. Uh, and they get down, they get a holding penalty, but first and 20. Hertz runs it, small game. Hertz runs it, loses yards. Third and 19. Smoke screen to Kenny Gainwell with with Devontae Smith as your lead blocker. That's the best you got. You think about everything that was kind of there to be won at that moment in that series and how important it was. I mean, as bad as they had been to that point, they had a chance now to win this game. Okay. That's what you're going to roll out there. 
you have those three plays, that's what you got. You got three plays there. AJ Brown doesn't see the ball. Fonte Smith doesn't see the ball. Uh, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift doesn't see the ball. Dallas Goddard doesn't see the ball. Your four best playmakers on that field, without question, those are your four best playmakers. You run those three plays knowing what's on the line right there, and none of them, none of them are in the, are in the play design. I mean, that's I mean, that's the kind of thing where anybody's got to look at that and say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? I mean, if you run, if you do that, you know what? You deserve to lose the Arizona Cardinals. So that's a lot of it. How much of it is AJ just thinking about AJ? I don't know. But it could certainly be as simple as him just saying, hey, look at this whole offense. Look at where we are right now. And look at what we're doing. And look at the games we're throwing away. What the heck is going on right here? I don't know how much of it is just him thinking about him or him thinking about the bigger picture, but there's certainly questions to be asked on both. Yeah, and and so, you know, when we went into these final few games, we had said, wow, the Eagles had the toughest schedule in the NFL. When you go to the Super Bowl, a lot of things happen. You lose players, and then you have a much tougher schedule. So they had the toughest schedule in the NFL, but then you say, okay, they're facing the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Giants to finish the season. They can get everything right, wrap the division up, and now that is all gone. The, the Cowboys now control their destiny if they win in Washington, which isn't a guarantee because the Cowboys have lost three of four on the road, but, you know, Washington, they're very bad. But the Giants, to me, I now say, wow, Tyrod Taylor just played really well against the Rams. The Rams were coming in one of the hottest teams, and the Giants almost beat them if they had made a field goal. So, right. so to me, is this now a question mark? Eagles at the Giants? I mean, the Eagles always beat the Giants. Yeah, they do. But uh, the way this Eagles team is playing right now, who knows? I, you, you really have to ask that question. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles haven't lost in the Meadowlands in forever. But right now, you, you know, you have to look at this team, what it is in the here or the now. And I don't know if they can beat anybody. And, you know, you just sort of mentioned something. And I think a lot of people maybe underestimated at the beginning of this year. Uh, it was... What this team was facing, the challenge that this team was facing coming into this year uh, as a team that went to the Super Bowl and lost. If you look at the history of teams that go to the Super Bowl and lose, look at what happens with the next year. Look at how hard it is for a team to come back from that disappointment and, and climb that mountain again the next year and actually go back. You know, people don't I think, oh, no, we were there last year. We'll get back. It's not that hard. Oh, no, oh really? Look look at the record of teams that lose that Super Bowl. Uh, and especially, and I, I actually I actually looked this up. Um, in the NFC, if you look back in the history of the NFC, where the Eagles are, they're home, um, the last team from the NFC that lost the Super Bowl and came back the next year and won the Super Bowl which is what everybody's goal was here in Philadelphia. Well, we're going to go back and win it. Okay, look back. When's the last NFC team that actually did that? It was before I was born. It was it was the the Minnesota Vikings, 73-74. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how long it's been since a team came back and actually an NFC team was able to do that. So that's how hard it was. However, having said that, I looked at this roster – going into the season. And I knew there were issues on defense. I expected there to be issues on defense. And I 
you know, and I knew you had two new coordinators and the schedule was tougher and all of that stuff. But I looked at the roster and and I still I still felt as if this is the best roster in the NFL. Even given what I thought were some of the issues they had on defense, I still thought top to bottom, this was the best team in the NFL. And I know the challenge is going to be great, but, you know, I think this team is good enough to do it. And I've been proven wrong. You know, the issues on defense were far greater than I imagined. Um, the play of the secondary uh, has been much worse. You know, the fall off of Bradbury has been huge. Uh, I mean, that happens with 30-year-old cornerbacks. Um, they missed Gardner Johnson more than I imagined. I mean, he was a real big playmaker for them last year. And part of the reason why they've gone from a plus giveaway takeaway team to a minus is they're not getting those interceptions from the safety position. So there are a lot of things that I thought they could overcome that they haven't been able to overcome. And defensively and offensively, they haven't been near the team that I thought they were going to be. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, Ray. When, when you look at Brian Johnson um, compared to what Shane Steichen did last year, Shane Steichen had the history, great play caller in San Diego with the Chargers, good play caller um, in, in the Indianapolis after he, he now has taken over as head coach. Um, and he had the connection with Nick Sirianni. And you see this year with the play calling, do you think that there is a big issue with the play calling on offense? I mean, if you look at the numbers, right, you've got the thousand yard rusher, you've got a receiver, AJ Brown, who could possibly get the 1500 yards. You got Devonte Smith over a thousand yards. I mean, there's only, I think one other team in the NFL who has 2000 yard receivers and a thousand yard running back. you look at all that and you say, well, and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been good other than the turnovers. I mean, what do you think the issue is? Is it the play calling in situational football? That's a big part of it. Uh, that 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 is a big part of it. I mean, we talked about that series in the Arizona game where you're it's a it's an absolutely critical situation and you run three consecutive plays and don't go anywhere near your best playmakers. What What is the thought process that goes into that? I mean, it's just the kind of thing that Everybody's sitting in the stands. That's why they were booing. Yeah, I mean that's what they were. That's why they were upset. I mean, what what are you doing here? I mean, this this is the series that's going to define the game. You you can't play for a field goal at that situation when your defense hasn't stopped the other team for the whole half. You got to be thinking touchdown. So what are you doing down here? Uh, and that goes back to the overall play design of the offense and the play calling of that in that situation and what they call situational football. I mean, that was just, there's no way of explaining away that about how bad that actually was. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you look at the raw numbers of what Swift has been able to accomplish, I mean, this has been a career year for him. I mean, it's a thousand yards back for the first time. You got uh, Smith and Brown, both over a thousand yards again. How many teams in the league have 2000 yard receivers? Okay. Um, the offensive line has been has been good. I mean, it hasn't been great, but it's been good. Um, but a lot of it is just this offense last year was very efficient. I mean, they just didn't make mistakes. This offense, they didn't beat themselves. You know, they made the plays that had to be made. This year, not true. They've got costly penalties at critical times, and they have turned the ball over way too much. And one of the things that surprised me and disappointed me, frankly, is – Jalen Hurts, I mean, for a guy who made so much progress and so much improvement last year as a pocket quarterback, 
I mean, we all knew he could run, but last year I thought his development plan, making plays from within the pocket, the leap that he took in there was tremendous. It was one of the biggest reasons why the team took the leap that it did last year. Um, and that has not been there this year. I mean, he's not nearly as good from the pocket. Some of it is on him, but I think some of it is on the plays that are being called. And there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt that they have missed Shane Staken. I mean, there's no there's no question that he and Nick Sirianni had a really good formula for how they wanted to run this offense last year. And Staken had a really good sense, which is what play calling is really all about, of what to go to in a given situation. He always seemed to make the right decision, and he always seemed to be a step or two steps ahead of the defense. And that hasn't been the case this year. You just said it. So the Eagles miss Shane Steichen, and so do they also miss Jonathan Gannon? I know a lot of Eagles fans, for some reason, they they don't like Jonathan Gannon. Do they also miss him? Are the coordinators maybe the biggest losses out of everything? The big, it's, it certainly has changed the uh, dynamic of the team, the two coordinators. And, you know, I can't remember a time when a team – Lost both coordinators in the same offseason. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's very. It's not uncommon for teams that go to the Super Bowl to lose one or the other. To lose both, very very unusual. The Steichen loss absolutely has impacted this team. I mean, they look they look confused on offense now. They look indecisive on offense now. They look like. I mean, just just stuff like getting the right players on and off the field. Look at all the timeouts they've wasted this year unnecessarily. That never happened last year. That's communication and that's coaching. So that's all stuff that you didn't see last year that you're seeing now. And as far as you go to Gannon, I was not his biggest fan. Uh, I mean, I, I thought his his style of football, the idea of the we're going to eliminate all the big plays, or we're just going to. I thought he was a little too conservative at times for my taste, um, but that certainly carried over into this year. I mean, look at this game on Sunday. I mean, you're looking, your your defense is third and five, okay, and you're playing your corners seven yards off, off the receivers and, and they're backpedaling. I mean, you're giving away all of that stuff, the outs, the slants, the digs. I mean, this defense, they have personnel issues for sure. There's no question about that. But the, the calls that are being made in certain situations are giving them no chance, are giving them no chance. You're taking less than, less than stellar players and putting them in down and distance calls that give them very little chance to succeed, even if they had the ability to succeed. So, I mean, this team right now is just, I mean, they're spinning. I mean, they, they are spinning. And, you know, they're all trying to say the right things and they're all trying to say that we have time to recover and we have the right guys in this room and all that kind of stuff. But in their heart of hearts, in their heart of hearts, they're asking the same questions we're asking. You know, are they good enough? Are they good enough to win a game in the postseason? Um, and, you know, we don't have the answers, and I'm not sure they do either. Wow. That's depressing. Now, now let me ask you, because this, this is a glimmer of hope, Ray. So – it's interesting. If they were to win the division, it would take the Cowboys losing at Washington. And the Cowboys are a bad road team this year. Bad road team. They've lost three or four. Uh, and it would take the Eagles beating the Giants. But it's interesting because if you look at the playoff matchups, if they were the two or three seed, right, 
Um, you're looking at a matchup with what the Rams and the Packers. And right now you look at the Rams and wow, they are playing tremendous football on offense. Matthew Stafford looking like an MVP, the receivers they have. And then you look at the Packers, they're throwing the ball all over the place. So if the Eagles wound up going on the road as a five seed and facing Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay to me is probably the best matchup the Eagles could get out of all those teams. I mean, do I you think there's a glimmer of hope, Ray, even though it's on the road? Well, if that's what you're thinking about, I mean, if that's what you're thinking about is just trying to take it one week at a time and you're looking for the easier matchup, that would probably be it. Uh, I mean, the Buccaneers, I mean, they played miserably in a big game for them this past week uh, against the Saints at home. Um, I mean, they've played pretty good. Baker Mayfield has played pretty well this year. Um, but you saw Sunday in a game that meant a lot to them that they played really bad. So could the Eagles go down there? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see who would be the favorite in that game right now. You know, who would you? Who do you like in that game? Um, that would be, if you're an Eagles fan, that's probably what you're hoping for. Um, but then the, the larger question is, yeah, but is that really what this is all about? Is, is it really, is this season really, is that what it comes down to? Trying to find an easy wild card opponent that we can beat Trying to, to find some hope the, in 2024. Because you know, <laughs> you're trying to, well, you're really, you started this year with the idea of trying to get yep. to a suit. Yeah. And you know, do you have, do you have within you right now the where the wherewithal to actually complete that, that journey, not go to Tampa and beat a, beat a, a 500 bucks team, but actually do what you did last year, which is go to a Super Bowl and maybe have a chance to win it. That's the larger question. But I will say this. I, I know your time is running out. Oh, no, no. We have all the time, Ray. Seriously. You, you know what You know what? really what struck me Sunday, watching that clock tick down and watching the Eagles lose that game? And, uh, as, as depressing as that was, what struck me was, what I thought about was, you know, this is probably the last game that Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, um, and maybe Lane Johnson will play on that field. You know, you're talking about four of your all-time players, a couple of them Hall of Famers, probably. Uh, and that's the la- that's going to be their last game. I mean, how sad is that? You know, I mean, that's, I mean, it was a, it was disappointing on multiple, multiple levels. But that was what I thought, was for those guys to think, wow, after all the time I've spent on this field, all the great moments we've had here, all the great football that I've played, really? This is this is the last one? That, that bothered me because I have so much respect for those guys that I would have liked to have seen them have a much, much better exit. If that was the exit, that was about as depressing as it gets. Man, I tried to have the glimmer of hope uh, about a possible win in the playoffs. No, I agree. I agree. The wrong week, John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You keep it real. And and I'll tell you, uh, I've seen Jason Kelsey after these games in the locker room last week after they beat the Giants. uh, You know, he talked about how sloppy it was. And he spoke with Jalen Hurts at Jalen's locker. and, And Jason Kelsey didn't take off his uniform for a while. 
Uh, and he had a long conversation with Jalen Hurts. And then after this game, you could see Jason walking back to the locker room and in the locker room, he was just, you know, shaking his head. Uh, and I think he realizes like this is slipping away. Um, and it's interesting because if you think about this team and you mentioned tired, Nick Sirianni even mentioned after I believe that stretch of, you know, losing to the 49ers, losing to the Cowboys, losing to the Seahawks in the middle of that, and really the Bills game where the defense played all those snaps uh, in overtime. Nick mentioned that, yes, that is an element, but everybody's tired this time of year. So I'm wondering about this final game. And, and Nick Sirianni said everything is on the table as far as this final game against the Giants. Obviously, you would think he's going to play all the starters to start the game because if the Cowboys were to lose in Washington, then, hey, the Eagles can win the division, which is an amazing thing. But let's say Dallas gets up 21 to nothing. You know, do you do you think there's a chance that Nick Sirianni could start to rest some guys if if that game is out of reach in, in Washington? Based on what he said, yeah, I think so. It's a, it's, it's unfortunate for the Eagles that, that their game and the Cowboys game was going off at the same time. It would, it would have helped them if they would have been staggered in such a way that they might have known the outcome before. But, yeah, I think he's I think he's thinking that. Like, I I would be very surprised if Devontae Smith plays this week. I mean, I just don't uh, – I mean, you're, you are going to be playing somebody the following week, and you need to have him healthy. So my guess is that he, that he you probably won't see him under any circumstances this week. I think he's probably – it probably wouldn't be smart to put him out there. The other guys – I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to get a rest week. I think you're going to try and play them all. And maybe if you find out that the Cowboys are running away from Washington, which is entirely possible, yeah, then maybe the second half it becomes it becomes something else. But you know, John, I I was making people mad that I knew at midseason this year. You know, when the Eagles were ten and one and they were everything was great, and you know, um, especially after the Buffalo game. You know where they came back and they won the game in overtime, and it was an exciting finish and all that. And all the post game, all the post game stuff was, oh, this team is so resilient, and this team has so much fight, and you know this team they they refuse to lose, <laughs> all of this stuff. And I I sent Michael Barkan, I sent Michael Barkan, our our buddy, I sent him an email, and I said, Mike, you know, I'm sorry, but this is just not sustainable. I mean, this is just not sustainable. You know, they if they unless they can play, they had not played. They had been scraping by game after game after game and week after week after week. And yes, finding ways to win, which okay, that's good. But every week you kept thinking, well, this is the week they'll kind of get it all together. I mean, how many times you mentioned Jason Kelsey? I mean, how many times have that after games did you hear Jason Kelsey say, "We got a lot of stuff to clean up"? I mean, he, and he was right. He was right. But at some point, you figure week eight, week nine, week ten, you'll start to see that happen. And they'll start to hit their stride and head towards the postseason like a team that's capable of doing something. And it just never happened. I mean, week after week, they continued to make dumb mistakes. And week after week, the defense just got worse. And that's why even at 10-1 and one after the Buffalo game, I said, I, I've heard so much about this resilience and finding ways to win. They can't keep going on this way. You know, they're taking San Francisco, they got Dallas, they got Seattle, who they never beat coming up. If they don't get it together quick, they're not going to win any of those games. I mean, I just kind of felt that coming. So as disappointed as I am right now, as we're having this conversation, I can't say I'm surprised. 
because, you know, this has been a very sort of bumpy, crazy, sputtery kind of season that somehow it's gotten them to the playoffs, but not with the expectation that they could get to the playoffs and actually win anything. I hope that turns out to be different. I hope that they find that switch and are able to flip it. But it rarely happens in the NFL. You, know, you kind of win on the merits of your players and your coaches. And right now, the Eagles players and coaches don't look like a, don't look like a Super Bowl team today. Yeah, and, and I think you, uh, this is why I love talking to you, because you have the historical perspective of, of covering the Eagles, and you talked about 50-plus years of watching this Eagles team. And I think you saw in 1980, right? where the Eagles go to the Super Bowl, and and really their Super Bowl was beating the Cowboys, finally beating the Cowboys, and then they go and lose in the Super Bowl. But what happened the next year to that team? Very true. Very true. And I I said, I said Michael Barkan an email to that effect last week. I said, Mike, this reminds me so much of the 1981 season. I mean, it, it was exactly like the 1981 season. Now, a whole offseason, the whole conversation is about well, we got to the Super Bowl and lost, but we're going to get back there next year, and we're going to win it. That was that was that was what everybody said. And then they start the season just like this one, red hot. They fly out of the gate. They get to six and zero, and we're on our way. They get to the midway point of the season. They're nine and two, best record in the NFL. Absolutely, everything appears to be headed in the right direction. Then they. Um, then they hit this. Then they just sort of hit this wall, where they lost four games in a row, and then everything just started doing this. And at the end of the year, yeah, they were in the playoffs on the basis of having a great first half of the season. But the whole second half of the season, and they were losing games in crazy ways. John Char fumbled a snap for a field goal that cost them a game. They lost a crazy game down in Miami. They lose to the Cowboys in Dallas. I mean, all of this stuff, a lot of the same kinds of stuff that we've seen happen with this team now over this last month was happening to that team in 81. So when they got to the playoffs, yeah, they had a home game. They were hosting the Giants, and the Giants hadn't been in the playoffs since Y.A. Temple was playing. And the Giants came into the vet and beat them because the Eagles played that way, the way they played the second half of the year. They fumbled a couple of kickoffs for Giants. They just played poorly. They made a game of it, but they lost. And I just kind of saw the, the the similarities between that post Super Bowl team and this post Super Bowl team were so spooky and so eerie that I kept thinking I'm reliving a bad dream here. And look, I hope this team can rewrite all that and come out in the playoffs and be be all of we thought they were going to be back in September. I hope that happens. But right now, I'm just having flashbacks of 1981, and those ain't good flashbacks. No. And once again, I set up another question to further depress us, right? <laughs> Jeez. Um, you know, you, you see, you see the uh, comparisons though of Dick Vermeil and Nick Sirianni being so young when that, when they got this job and, you know, quickly turning around the team and, and really um, changing the fortunes of the franchise and doing a good job. But you, you see, you see the wear and tear it puts on these guys. Nick Sirianni admitted he slept in his office a couple times this year. Um, do you see any correlation there? You may, maybe even the weight, the expectations that are on Nick Sirianni. I mean, you even hear talk radio now 
Sirianni coaching for his job. So how about the weight and the expectations and, and maybe even burnout of, of trying to get this team back to that level it was at in the Super Bowl year for these coaches? Very real. Very real. Um, the, the, str- the stress that's on coaches in pro football has always been crushing. Uh, and sometimes it's the pressure from outside. Sometimes it's the pressure from your ownership. Sometimes it's the pressure from the fans, which can certainly be true here. <laughs> and then sometimes it's the pressure you put on yourself. Uh, and nobody, in my experience, uh, put more pressure on themselves than Dick Vermeil did. I mean, Dick Vermeil, um, I mean, 81, that season ends that way. Dick only lasted one more year. I mean, he came back in 82, and at the end of that season, just said, I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, he was, he was essentially having a nervous breakdown, and he had to walk away, and walked away for 14 years before he yeah. came back. So, yeah. I mean, that's what coaches live with, uh, if, if they are that driven. Dick was, and I think Nick Sirianni, I don't know to the same degree, but I think he has a similar kind of personality. Um, you know, Dick Nick's had far more success early than Dick did. I mean, Nick's in year three, and he's been in the playoffs all three years. Yeah. You know, Dick didn't get to the playoffs till his fourth year. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he had a rougher climb to get there. Uh, but in terms of the time that's spent and the toll that it takes on you, uh, physically and emotionally is is very real. Uh, and uh, that was part of what happened. I mean, that, that team, the team kind of burnt out and after super, after the Super Bowl in 80, uh, and and Dick burnout right along with it. Wow. Um, and and you know, in your in your estimation, how do you think this ends up? Like, how do you think? What's the end game here for this Eagles team this season? What do you see happening based on what you have seen uh, to get to ten and one, and then losing four or five the way they have? But they, if it works out. I can't see Dallas losing this weekend. I mean, even though they can't beat anybody on the road, I mean, I think well, if the if the if the bus finds its way to the stadium, I think they'll beat Washington. So I so I so I don't think I don't think the Eagles. I don't think this is going to fall into their lap this time. I think I think they're going to be where they are, which is they'll be a wild card team, and they will probably first round game. They'll probably get the, the Tampa, who will probably win the South, because I would assume that I certainly assume that Tampa can beat Carolina. So it's going to be the Eagles going to Tampa, and I, um, I don't know, I don't know. To me, that to me that is a flip of a coin game. Uh, are the Eagles a better team than the Bucks? Yeah, I think so. But you look at who on this Eagles defense can stop Mike Evans. I mean, if if I'm if I'm the Buccaneers, to me it's a very simple formula. I'm just chucking it up to Mike Evans. <laughs> I, I might yeah. target him thirty five times. Who on this defense can stop him? I don't know. Um, I mean, to me, that's to me that's a game where you've got two teams that are eminently capable of either one of them losing it. Not so yeah. much winning it, but they're eminently capable of losing it. And I think it's probably going to come down to whichever team makes the biggest mistake. The costly penalty, the tip ball, the fumble, something's going to come down to that. Because uh, neither of the teams right now are capable of kind of winning a game on their own merits. But they're equally capable of losing it. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. You know, the fact that both of those teams are going to be in the postseason tells you just how watered down the NFL postseason really is. Well, the NFL wants everybody to be equal. They want 
They want to try to get this league where every game, you don't know who's going to win. And uh, it's a lot different than than when Vermeil was coaching because you had some oh, yeah. really great teams that, that didn't really have any flaws, some power teams. And then now, I mean, almost every team has a flaw. Um, yeah. But the Eagles are sh- exposing more than the other teams right now. And, you know, John, I think that's one of the things that's probably very frustrating for Eagles fans. I mean, whether they think it through or articulate it, I think what they're all feeling is kind of what you just said, is you look around the NFL right now, there is not a super team out there. You know, there's no Steel Curtain. There's no Montana 49ers. There's no Jimmy Johnson Cowboys. There's no Colossus team that's just sort of ruling the landscape. Uh, it's, it is a wide, wide open door this year. Um, I mean, the Ravens are probably the best team, and 49ers are probably number two. But are they truly all-time teams? Not really. I mean, this was a year. This was a year. It would have been the year to be really good, and I thought the Eagles had a chance to be that team. And what we're finding out is that they're not. Yeah. Well, listen, let's uh, let's have a little more positivity before we end this. How about you and Tommy and me? Unbelievable play. I saw it in person. It's magnificent, Ray, and and you've done it many, many times at different theaters. Um, what's going on with Tommy and me now? Well, you're right, John. I, and I appreciate you came out. You saw it at Fringe Arts Theater on uh, Columbus Boulevard. Uh, that was in 2018, 2019. Uh, you got a great memory. Wow. I, we I, do, well, well, I remember the years we did the theaters. And yeah, I, yeah. We, we've been doing the play since 2016, and we just did it. Twice this year, we did it at a Bucks County Playhouse and again at the Uptown Theater in Westchester. We've had a great run. And uh, there is a documentary film that is currently being produced by Sam Katz and History Making Productions. Um, he's already shot a lot of the interviews. He's been to the Hall of Fame in Canton and shot all the B-roll. So that documentary is now in production and will probably be done sometime in 2024. And just in the last month, uh, I've had discussions with uh, a couple of folks uh, in Hollywood, who um, a wow. producer and a writer, who heard about the story, uh, saw the play, and uh, think they want to make a movie out of it. Wow! So, so well, <laughs> you know, I mean, you you know, and I know how things work in Hollywood. A lot of ideas are put on the table, and maybe one out of eight hundred actually gets made. But um, just the fact that somebody out there likes the story enough that they think that it could be turned into a film is pretty exciting. So it's it's just now in the talking stages. Nothing has been signed. Nothing has been promised. Uh, but um, it's uh, it's a very exciting prospect. And we'll you know we'll we'll just leave it at that. Ray, I'm gonna clap. <laughs> Happy 2024. This is gonna be a great year. I, awesome. certainly, I, I certainly hope so, and I will, I will keep you updated. And I know uh, I would love to see it happen for the for Tom, Tommy, of course, is gone now, but his family, his kids, and his grandchildren are all still here. And yeah. they've been a very big part of this whole story. They come to the play every year. They've been wonderful supporters of Tommy and me. So uh, I would love to see all of this stuff happen for them because I think it would be a, a wonderful way to celebrate their grandfather. That'd be awesome. I see Kevin Costner playing the role of Ray Didinger. <laughs> My wife is actually holding out for Bradley Cooper. That's it. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic, especially the Philly connection. Wow. Um, 
Well, that's great. It, it is a it is a great play, um, and, and very 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 well written. And um, you know, after watching the Kelsey documentary, uh, the connection and bond between human beings is really what we all connect to. And and the story that you have um, with Tommy, I, in, especially in today's society, um, I don't think you you can't have that anymore, really. So it's it's so special. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, the relationship, the friendship that he and I formed from when I was a 10 year old kid and asked for his autograph the first time. Uh, and that journey that went from there to me presenting him at the Hall of Fame 40 years later yeah. uh, is pretty amazing. And right behind me, right there, is uh, my Tommy McDonald autograph football that he signed for me in Canton. The year that he was inducted in 1998 when i gave his presentation speech so that that is there now and will stay there forever and that's uh, awesome and our friendship is uh one of the uh one of my most one of my most wonderful memories and the fact that other people sort of recognize that uh and want to continue to tell that story to me is just a lovely feeling it's awesome tommy was great people and uh and that was an awesome relationship and and it's so good to see um that side of a player, by the way, you know, sometimes we don't see enough of that. Um, and, and the way it was back then where you could, uh, kind of get a little closer to the athlete at training camp and things like that. Most camps aren't even, uh, out at a college anymore. They're at the facilities, you know, it's all closed quarters. So, um, right. very cool. Well, we're all going to be waiting, Ray. You let us know, uh, Tommy and me is a fantastic thing. So 2024 is going to be a magnificent year. I'm certainly hoping so, John. Awesome. And uh, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. We hope we hope the Eagles can provide some some joy for Eagles fans in early 2024 as well. Let's let's hope. There's a little let's bit of hope. hope. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Great catching up with you, John. Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure being with you. And uh, let's hope. You know, I mean, they're they're still alive, and, and maybe they'll catch fire. You know, maybe they'll get that little bit of magic and start on a roll. I mean. Phillies did it a couple of years ago. I mean, came out of nowhere, started winning games. Nobody thought they could win. Next year, in the World Series. Maybe it'll happen again. I hope so. I'm, I'm at a point now, John, where I'm not in the media anymore. I'm a fan. Yeah. So I'll admit, I'm rooting for it. I can I can honestly come out now and say I'm rooting for them, and I hope they do it. That's awesome. Now, you're still sitting there with the notepad, right? Watching the games? There you go. <laughs> awesome. Hall of Famer Ray Dittinger, you're the man. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. Oh, I'm so flagrant.